Welcome to Politics Done Differently, a no-frills political podcast for the everyday voter, aiming to engage Australians in the political agenda. Hosted by Katarina Sullivan, businesswoman, award-winning sustainability expert, and political junkie. We are back again in Parliament House today, and I am joined by Senator Claire Moore. Senator, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. We're very excited to have you here. Good. So, <laughs> Senator Moore is a Labour Senator for Queensland, yeah. um, and most notably Shadow Minister for International Development in the Pacific. That's right. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So we've met before we have, yes. um, in your shadow minister position to mm-hmm. discuss the sustainable development goals. Yep. And I understand on top of that as well, you're also on a few committees. I think we all are. Yes. It's, it's part of the job, particularly in the Senate, that we yeah. are very active in committees. Yes. So you're on committee for foreign affairs, defence and, and trade. trade. Yes. Um, and libraries. Yes, I love library. the library. Yeah. <laughs> library, uh, the Joint Standing Committee on Foreign Affairs and Trade, as well as the Senate one. Yes. Um, and also the Joint Standing Committee on Human Rights. Oh, brilliant! It's that's a very special committee. Yes. Sure. Um, and the Foreign Affairs, Defence and mm-hmm. Trade Committee. I actually submitted a um, submission Good. to the inquiry for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We're having a hearing tomorrow afternoon. Oh, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> and I heard a bit about the Forest Primary uh, School. That's one of the best things I've been involved with. Yes. Yeah. So would you like to explain a little bit more about that? Oh, that's lovely. Uh, through one of my friends whose child goes to Forest School, um, she came to me and said, would I be prepared to go down and um, talk to the kids about the SDGs? And I said, sure, because that's an intimate part of being a senator to work with young people in, through education. And it's one of the, the most uh, rewarding parts of our job. So when I went down there, I was unprepared for the level of knowledge and enthusiasm and engagement that these 11-year-olds were exhibiting in their research project around the uh, Sustainable Development Goals. We found out that through the the school um, network Mm -hmm. of which Forest is a part, they have a project in their graduating classes of picking a single project, getting everyone involved and then doing presentations about it. And I think with some prompting from some very dedicated teachers, uh, this year's Grade 6 class chose the SDGs. And it was extraordinary to see There are about 70 in the class, and of course everybody won't be involved at the same level, but by far the great majority were deeply involved. Mm. They shared the goals amongst themselves so that everybody wasn't doing the same one and that all the goals were addressed. And I was absolutely blown away. The, um, The knowledge that these young people showed, the awareness of the background and history and why the goals need to be taken as a package. You can't just pick one or two and say, this is what we need to do to remove poverty or to ensure that no one is left behind, which, as you know, is the theme of the SDG agenda. They really understood the fact that each goal had a particular area of importance, but the only way that the agenda could be achieved is if they all worked together. And every single one of the young people with which I spoke understood that, could make the links between the goal that they'd chosen, be it um, the environment or water. Oh, there was a lot of excitement about water and mm-hmm. the importance of clean water and the awful impacts of particularly kids because they identified with kids 
in other parts of the world. So 11-year-old in forest in Canberra, 11-year-old in Papua New Guinea or Bolivia or Africa, Mm -hmm. and they made those connections. So it was wonderful. And uh, then with the um, inquiry with which you've been involved, um, I spoke to the other members of the inquiry about whether we could actually have people from the school come and give evidence to the committee so that not only would they be involved in their project, but then they would come and be able to talk with our committee about what the SDGs meant to them and why it was important. So it took a, a bit of organisation, 70 kids into the into Parliament. You know, you've seen the security in Parliament yes. now. Uh, getting it all worked out over who was going to speak and who wasn't and to ensure it fitted into their own school program. But... There was genuine enthusiasm from the school, from the principal, through her teaching staff. Uh, They really wanted to do it. The kids really wanted to do it, and it was great. So it's now on Hansard. We had about an hour and a 10-minute hearing where they gave presentations and answered questions, and then we actually gave them something to eat and they could party, and they enjoyed being in Parliament. So it was a worthwhile event. Yeah. And can you see that happening again in the future with other committees? Do you oh, think? look, I'd hope so. I hope it just takes a little bit of organisation. Yeah. But, you know, the idea of committees is to listen to people across the community on issues that are important. Yes. And nothing, I think, reflects that better than if a group of young people have chosen to be involved, have chosen to research and have really understood the issue, and then they come and talk to their parliamentarians. It's a natural part of the committee process, and I think it could work again. Oh, fantastic. Well, I hope to see a little bit more of that happening. Well, I would hope so. I think we, as you know, we have a really strong education program here in Parliament, which is extraordinarily effective. Um, And the skills of the teachers who work in that area in bringing kids together and bringing them out Um, Because, as always, not everybody would have the same enthusiasm about coming to Parliament. But if you walk past the the classrooms that are here in in Parliament House uh, and you hear the laughter and the excitement um, of the kids being involved in their role plays, you know that something's happened. There has been a connection. And I think one of the most important things is to connect the community with their parliament. After all, it is their parliament. It doesn't belong to the politicians. It belongs to the people of Australia. That's a fantastic message. Mm. And I understand that there's uh, great programs that are set up in Parliament House for those Mm. um, intimate connections. Where do you think things get lost along the way with disconnection? Absolutely. Uh, in terms of the process. Don't worry, it's, it's green. green. Thank you. Yes, we always check that <laughs> yeah. part of being in Parliament House. You just never know. Look, it's one of those issues that uh, when you see the way that the kids react, and they come here mainly in their end of primary school years, this is the most important process of when kids come, when you see how much they get involved and how they understand the system and how it works, and then somewhere we lose people. Not everyone. I mean, we know that there's a number of people across the community who are deeply interested in politics and how they can be involved, but they're certainly not the majority. Uh, you have to think about whether there is a connection that's really established. And one of the saddest things is when you see that you know surveys that have been done show that the level of trust that the people in the community have with their parliament is lower than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know that surveys are not perfect and they're impacted by where they're done and how they're done and all those things. But I think that's a really solid message for anyone who's interested in the system. 
and interested in democracy as to why people express the lack of trust. And that message needs to be identified and heard. And certainly it's something I'm very keen in my party to ensure that we do understand that we have to have the respect. You don't always have the agreement. There's hardly any issue that I can think of that everybody will agree with. But we need to have some sense that people who are voting and deliberating on policy have the best interests of the country at heart, um, will listen and respect different views and will come to an informed decision. That's what people expect of their politicians. And if we've lost that, and there's some evidence to say that there has been a, at least some loss in that space, mm. we need to understand why and respond to it. And that loss of trust, mm. do you think social media and the internet has had a role to play in it? I think, I think social media and the internet have a role to play in everything <laughs> in our society. Um, and I think the immediacy of the communication of those mechanisms is really important. Uh, yes. Things can be said and done immediately and in bulk. And one of the things we talk about is where getting emails and messages to pollies now uh, is just a matter of pressing a button. People mm. used to have to take the effort to write or call individually to politicians. Now with the email system, you can get a list of all the pollies, whack it into your um, email system, and with one little press, yeah. you can get a message across to everyone, which has its advantages, but also has disadvantages, because I think, I mean, certainly from my point of view, I think there is less personal engagement with that mechanism and it's too easy to say things without thought. And we know that. I mean, in our own interactions, we say things sometimes when we're angry or upset, very tired, um, you know, 2 a.m. at night, um, and maybe they're not thought through as much as they should be. And by being able to spread messages very quickly, um, and not be able to take them back. I think that impacts on general information and um, the thought processes. I keep talking about people thinking about issues and being involved. So I think they do have an impact. Uh, I think sometimes the fact that parliamentarians, uh, the, this whole place where people gather together to vote, uh, there's only a small number of the community that take the interest to actually watch parliament or listen to parliament. Yes. Uh, and it means that you get your information either through the media or through social media, um, through a filtered process. Uh, I think that when you see the, the snapshots that the media covers of what happens in this place, you get a false idea. Yeah. And that's not to say that we behave well all the time. We certainly don't, and I'm very worried about mm -hmm. some of the behaviours in this place. But the kind of thing that you see um, filmed, which is when there's great dissension or someone does something really stupid or people behave badly. It's a really small percentage of the time that's taken up in debate and committee activity. Most of it is done in a fairly regulated, fairly thoughtful process. Uh, but if you, the only vision you have is of question time, uh, which I would like to ban, <laughs> if, or in when people are behaving badly, like we've seen a bit in Parliament recently, that gives an impression that that's how everyone behaves and that we are an elite, uh, we're only thinking about ourselves, we don't have any discipline, all those things you hear yeah. out in the community. And that, by and large, is not an accurate reflection of what happens. Certainly at times, it's appalling. Uh, and that could be said about just about any workplace. But yes. It's a bit different when talking about Parliament because 
we represent the people of the community and I think they expect better and I think they should get it. But I think they should also be aware of the other ways we operate and the way that uh, we do go about gathering evidence and do talk with each other and do go through debate. Yeah. Well, I think that that is very worrying for the voters when they mm. see that sensational oh, news yeah. that comes on TV as opposed to the fantastic things like the story that we were talking about oh, earlier yeah. with Forest Primary School and that didn't make headlines. But. Oh no <laughs> and I wanted I mean I actually let the media know that yeah. these kids were coming not because of me but because I thought that that would make them give them a buzz you yes. know, if they thought that someone would come and listen to what they were saying uh, and that's one of my disappointments and I've spoken to people about it in the past some of the best work we've done in this place is through the committee process yeah. and extraordinarily valuable committees looking at legislation or looking at important issues like mental health or people in institutions or the women who had their babies stolen through forced adoption. And this week there was a report from an extraordinarily important committee that looked at stillbirth. Um, and they brought down their report on Wednesday and it was beautiful. The senators spoke about their own personal experiences. They spoke about the quite confronting numbers that I don't think people realise how many stillbirths there are across Australia and the, and the need for research and need for support for families. It was um, a moving, a moving experience to listen to that contribution. But the media coverage of not just the final report but the various hearings around the place was very limited yeah. and I wonder somehow um, the kinds of things they all rush to cover mm. like the bank yes. anything to do with mm -hmm. banks not just the Royal Commission but when they have inquiries here yeah. in the Parliament as well that gets a lot of media coverage and it should because it is important to people and the credibility of our financial system but there are extraordinarily important issues being covered by parliamentary committees all the time. Mm -hmm. If you look at a schedule and they come out regularly about which committees are in operation, where they're meeting and uh, encouraging people to come along, and most of these things are all public, um, and then you know, we come up with recommendations and putting pressure on governments, but it's not given the coverage in the wider community that I think would be really valuable. Um, I think people would be interested in knowing yeah. what their parliamentarians are talking about. And while, you know, everyone's got busy lives, I think that would be another reflection of the work that's done here and not just what you see um, that gathers headlines or causes division um, or gives you a quick headline. So how would you envision bridging that gap? and being able to report to the public mm. some of those good news stories coming out of this place? Well, I think it's up to all of us to talk about it a lot and mm. certainly parliamentarians are using their social media mm. and using you know websites and whatever mechanisms they have to talk with their, their communities. They're talking about their committees more uh, and I think that for some people everything's important. Mm. Um, but when you have, say, a references committee, which most references committee come out of individuals who work in the community to make something important mm -hmm. and to bring it to the attention of the people who are in this place. So uh, the inquiry we did about forced adoption, you know, women who had been caught up in that process since the 50s and 60s have been lobbying for years to get that on their political agenda mm -hmm. and uh, they never stopped. 
So when we finally got the inquiry, then the recommendations which talked about policy and apology, which that was one of the um, very many issues that have led to people looking at apologies from governments, it vindicated the pain and the effort that they had. Uh, and I think that did engage the community. And that's mostly how references get up and mental, the very large mental health committee, which was one of my first committees, uh, people have been lobbying for years to ensure that the um, very difficult and complex and painful issues around mental illness in our country were considered effectively by government. And there were a large number of recommendations, some were taken up, some weren't, but people actually generated their own networks and told people what was going on. Everybody won't read the newspapers to say, you know, there's a public hearing, you should come, or this is on, but some will. And I think that that is part of it, that people have got to have the trust, again, we come back to that, that their voices will be respected and that something may change. If they think it's useless, why would they go through the effort of being involved? Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit as well about you and your career right. um, and how you got started in politics. Ah, well... I'm really an issues-based politician. Uh, my parents weren't party political, but they were deeply involved in community. So issues around poverty, issues around education, issues around sport. My Both parents are very involved in sport and the value of sport. Uh, so when I went through school, we had all kinds of things about social justice, which was very valuable. And, and that was, a, a, I really appreciate the, the support and the um, stimulants that came from that form of education, then through uni, the same thing. But I got involved in the women's movement very much and the abortion, um, legalising abortion process in Queensland, which was a long, tough area. So got involved in people's movements. Uh, and then I joined the union when I started work in the public service. And that led me to the involvement in workers' rights, industrial democracy, equal opportunity, all those things that were actually very active in, the, in Australia in the 1980s. It was mm. an exciting time in the public service, which is my career, um, at that time, because we were leading on policies in the public sector. And um, it was a really valuable experience to be involved in consultation, to be involved in negotiation, and to work out how you actually can build movements. And that is kind of the bottom message for everybody who want to make change, how you build movements. Yeah. People say that one voice alone can't make a difference, and I don't agree with that, but I certainly believe that the stronger the gathering of voices, the more, um, more likely you are to get the change you want. So that was how I got started, and it was just a natural progression so that... Um, I got involved in the Labor Party, mainly mm -hmm. through the union movement. That yep. was kind of a natural link. Um, but it was actually then, within the Labor movement, looking at how you could look at things like social justice, Aboriginal Islander um, emancipation, and looking at, at um, genuine reconciliation. And that was a really important process to look at that. And all these issues that I've mentioned are still real now. Yes. Because I don't think we ever reach um, absolute perfection. And even if we do achieve a lot of wins, we have to keep watching and working on them to make sure we don't lose them because yeah. that tends to be a bit of, of learning from history that people affect change, but unless you keep in being involved and keep the pressure up, things can be lost very quickly as well. So Yeah. 
And you, when talking about being an issues-based politician, yes. um, I've met with over or before everyone found out about the uh, dual citizenship debacle. Mm. <laughs> I had met with over half of our federally elected parliament on the global goals. Yep. And you are by far the one person who has truly embraced them. Yeah. You've got signs and posters I everywhere. <laughs> and that's part of the message because yeah. sometimes even having something in your window can make people stop and think, what's that? And we've been really, with the whole SDG movement, one of the things the UN does very well is um, provide information. And if you go through the website, the UN website on the SDGs, and if you look at the various products they present, uh, you can, they've been done in a very accessible way, bright, colourful, linking the message, um, really wanting communities, whether, again, whether you live in Forest or whether you live in Bolivia, yeah. that that's going to be real to you. And they do that stuff really well. In fact, sometimes I think the impact of a photograph can be much more than three pages of text. Yes. And they do great photographs, yeah. the UN, and they draw you in somehow... Um, well, it's all about people. It's a people's movement. So you can talk about theory, but if you're going to have leaving no one behind, the best message is to see someone who could be left behind and to get a personal commitment that that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, and with this idea of leaving no one behind mm. and the struggle that we're facing in achieving the SDGs, not yep. only in Australia but around the world, what do you see are the biggest roadblocks and challenges for Australia in seeing the achievement? Well, I mean, the evidence we've got in our inquiry uh, indicates that there are some great things happening, mm -hmm. but people don't know about them. Yep. And the number one issue of all the people who came to see us um, was that they thought people needed to know more about them mm. and they expected their governments at every level but they expected their governments to be talking about them all yeah. and uh, I think organisations like United Nations Association of course have been leaders in this space because they're people who know about and care about the United Nations so some of the community-based work that different United Nations associations have been doing around the country have all been absolutely based in getting people involved and in getting the community involved and I think that is what all of us need to do. First of all you've got to see what the goals say and if you then believe that what they're saying is important then you actually have to think about whether you want to be involved or not yep. and I think once you get um, make the commitment um, you see lives change yep. and the thing that is I think is frustrating for me most in this whole agenda is that many people are doing things but they don't link them to the goals yeah so that's my frustration with government I mean I have been openly stating that I don't believe that the government response has been as strong as it could be that's not to say some people aren't doing a great deal and that there is there's genuine commitment um, in in elements across the government in some departments they are doing wonderful things um, but I really don't think there has been an absolute buy-in in terms of looking at what is being done and then linking it to the agenda because it fits. It, does. it doesn't. Well, everyone, when you talk about the SDGs, the first thing people think of is environment mm. and they all want to talk with you about environment policy, which is absolutely critical and at least three of the goals have immediacy yes. in the environment. Um, 
and if we could get all of them right, <laughs> we'd be in a good position. But they don't think about the work that they're doing in health. They don't think about the work that they're doing in education. They don't think about the work that they're doing um, in town planning. You know, they this work is being done, and people are in their policies working in these spaces, but it's not framed in the Australian government around the SDGs. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the big differences between the way we're reacting in Australia to the what's happening in some other countries. So. Uh, in the Nordic countries, of course, you know, it's very frustrating to keep talking about the Nords. Uh, Canada, uh, places like Bangladesh, who have really serious um, um, issues in, in the way with poverty and environment and even government action, but their budget is actually based on the SDG agenda. Yeah. So every single piece of policy and every budget decision is framed within the SDG framework. and. For whatever reason, and it's been very hard to get anyone to tell us why, the Australian government has not taken up that as an option. What they've said is DFAT, Department of Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade, Department of Foreign Affairs, and of course they talk the language because they think it's something to do with you know developing countries. Mm -hmm. But it's much wider than that. That's SDGs true. involve every country in the way their agendas are operating, yes. and they think. We've been told Prime Minister and Cabinet has a has a, a responsibility to coordinate government action, which makes sense, PMNC. But the PMNC um, annual reports are not focused on the SDGs. Mm. Uh, I have actually asked questions of other departments to say, your annual report, have you looked at the SDGs? And they haven't. Mm. And I find that frustrating because... It is not a big ask. It's just an awareness issue, it's a reinforcement issue, and it's a monitoring issue. How can we genuinely report on what's happening in Australia if it's not front and centre in the way we plan, in the way we budget, and the way we talk to each other? Yeah. I have had those struggles throughout since I started with the Global Goals yes. um, and have actually moved a lot of my efforts towards business and the business sector because I feel like it's a lot quicker to adopt some of our major companies mm. around Australia are reporting back they on are. the SDGs. And they're leading and yeah. also the mining industry, you know, which yes. cops a lot of flack sometimes for yeah. the way the resources industries operate, but they understand. Yeah. They understand the goals and they understand that they need to think in those ways and they are. They're doing good work. Aussie Post embraced yes. from the start yeah. it, it's just wonderful to see uh, that very large department who actually know um, how their business can link in with the goals and of course universities are another area that are so important and they have actually um, got they've got their own network which look at the SDG agenda and they get the way they plan um, their curriculum, the way they have their um, their universities designed, the way they get people together. They see the value of Agenda 2030 uh, and it's it that gives you hope. And certainly when you do these inquiries, there's an element of frustration, yes. <laughs> absolutely. But there's also elements of hope in yeah. terms of when you see where people have really... Um, Got it, and that's a that's a term I use a lot. You know, you can read about things, you can actually even uh, look at how it impacts on you. But it's that message when you actually get it, and you can see the value of the agenda, and it's not 
extra work. It's not something imposed on you. It's something that actually helps your own work and leads you to that overwhelming theme, which once you actually really think about it, a theme that looks at everyone across the world ensuring that we work together to leave no one behind. How can you argue with that? How can you argue with it? I mean, it should be just, that's it. (laughs) That's it. Uh, Definitely agree with you on that one. Um, And one of the things that I've found interesting, you mentioned the Nordic countries Mm. before and how they're sort of the benchmark for Mm. the rest of the world. And I was actually... On so many ways. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was actually up in your state of Queensland at um, Brisbane Girls Grammar um, the end of November Mm. to give a talk around the SDGs and around creating a sustainable future. And they get it too, Girls Grammar. They They sure do. Well, I think they've had such a long history of social service and they have um, many, many women who've gone through that school who've been so um, influential and inspiring in the kinds of things they've done with their lives to make sure the community is a better place. And throughout all of that, there's been this agenda within Girls' Grammar of service. And of course, that that actually does um, translate straight away to leaving no one behind. So I'm sure you had a good time at that. I reckon the young women would have been reacting strongly. I had an amazing time. It was actually for the International Young Leaders Forum. Uh, So we had students from countries around the Asia-Pacific region. Mm. Um, And one of the things that I spoke about in my work with the UN is that a lot of these countries that are performing quite highly aren't looking at their supply chain. So we're out here and we're buying clothes that are made in sweatshops and things like that, how do you see, is there a role that the government can play in that combating the supply chain? Well, I think that, I mean, the fact that we've now signed on and we have a, um, I'm not get the name of the act, but it's actually an anti-slavery act, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was a a lot of work done in that space. Another committee that works so well together, um, it was the Human Rights Subcommittee of the Joint Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade Mm -hmm. Committee, which, you know, you talk in that jargon. Um, But we actually had um, a consideration of the UK experience in the formulation of their act and had quite an extensive um, inquiry into translating that to Australia and had had hearings in a number of places, got many, many submissions uh, and also had the opportunity to talk with people from the UK as well about what had happened with the introduction of their act and so on. So I think we've now got our first act that was looking at anti-slavery. Um, one of the big things in that was awareness raising yes. about people had a view of slavery as something that existed in America in the um, 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. And when I first came here um, to this parliament, it was very... Um, close to the a major celebration of the Wilberforce. So the issues of slavery were being discussed a lot in Parliament at that time as people talked about the extraordinarily one man um, who built up networks against something that was an established norm. Mm. And know that slavery people thought was natural. You know, yeah. some people um, had the right to own other people and benefit from their labour. Uh, but unfortunately in 2018, people still had that view of slavery and it was something to do with America. Um, they didn't even know that slavery existed in other places. They just had this Ameri- American TV view of yes. what slavery was. I think Roots was watched the highest, one of the highest watched programs in Australian TV. Um, so first of all, people had to think, really think about the use of other people 
and the way that people are traded and their skills are traded and their worth is traded. And that was a very important element of it. And people have been working in this space for years, wonderful um, agencies and individuals working at trying to ensure that people are treated with respect and are not used in that way. Uh, so that was important. Uh, and then we had to see what in our lives would be part of that. So it, again, it wasn't somebody else's problem. It's, it's way too easy to say, that is so awful and someone should do something about it. It's translating that, as I said earlier, to what can I do about it. And yeah. your point about clothes is a perfect example. Yeah. We go and buy clothes in various ways and hardly anyone thinks to look at where they're made and even once you've had where they're made, how they're made. Mm. And uh, I think that's something that has been... There have been some really good organisations over the years working in that space and I've been lucky enough to be involved with them. So it's something I've always taken seriously. Uh, and I think that's a step as well, awareness and what you can do. We've now got the legislation. It's going to be the first round legislation. Of course, it will be reviewed because I truly believe that people, businesses have got to be accountable for their supply chains. Um, and you may not always be able to find out every detail, but you have a responsibility now by law mm -hmm. to actually examine your supply chains to find out where the, the components you're using for whatever industry you are are looked at and then looking at business and looking at personal circumstances. We've had our first um, charges laid in Australia quite recently for someone who has actually claimed that their liberty was actually taken by people um, and they were used to all intents and purposes in slave labour. And yeah. that's important, that that's on the agenda. The trade union movement has been working in this space for a long time and we've been pointing out um, not only poor wages, because that, that is taking people's labour without respect, but shocking incidences in some industries of people who were, to all intents and purposes, locked away and their labour was being used for someone else's profit. Now, a lot of that was in um, hospitality. Mm. So you go to a restaurant and you don't know where the people who are working there come from. Yes. You know, you see that they may be from somewhere else, but you can't presume because no one can presume ever. Yeah. First rule is never to presume anything. Yeah. And then every time you break it, you keep telling you, never presume. <laughs> um, also in um, house, you know, nannies and domestic servants, yeah. people, again, no one knew that this was happening. And certainly one of the areas that a few of my mates have been looking at are the various nail bars and mm -hmm. hair places about whether mainly young women, mm. mainly young women, whether, you know, they are um, there voluntarily and whether their wages and so on are, are accurate because yeah. that's something we can all do. We can yeah. also always look at how we spend our money and whether that's been done in a way that we want to be pleased with yeah. and to ensure that no one is left behind. Yeah. I didn't even realise that there was an issue with slavery in the beauty sector. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the places where sometimes when you go into not all businesses and it shouldn't yeah. and it's very important not to label all but there yeah. have been some concerns raised about um, some of the areas where people are there um, sometimes in extended families yes and you don't know whether they're being paid their right, right wages I mean that's not to say family businesses because a lot of my mates had mums and dads who were in shops and things mm. and the kids helped out that's not what we're talking no. about <laughs> we're talking about people who are actually being used 
and they're not being they're not receiving the conditions that they they must have mm-hmm. we have books of rules in Australia about what is the decent way to behave it's actually implementing all those and I think this whole discussion about modern slavery has shaken a few people to say oh yeah it's important we do something about that that's also spreading I mean there is not modern slavery legislation in every nation Mm -hmm. but more and more cases are coming more and more parliaments are looking at the issues and I think that's an important development yeah and of course, um, Andrew Forrest has been very, very, critical. very, very, very loud in this area, and yes. that's wonderful. And that's yeah. someone who has had the advantages of being a very successful businessman, um, and he has, you know, shown that you can use what you've been able to achieve to help others. And that's, a, a, you know, I talked about inspiring people. That's yeah. important. Yeah. Do you see an, another? example of this is of course Alan Joyce last year with yeah. the marriage equality debate do yeah. you see business executives having a big role to play in shopping? I do I do and I think it's also breaking down um, this idea that your business life is separate to your personal values and I I think that was very valuable uh, that through that you know that absolutely inspiring process that led to the people of Australia finally um, ensuring that there was genuine marriage equality. Uh, I think people looked into their own hearts and thought about um, what their values were and sometimes even more importantly how their values could coexist with people who had a completely different view and they can, they can and you haven't always got to be um, fighting and feeling as though you're not respected you can genuinely disagree without being personally antagonistic yes. and I think that's a really important message and through the marriage equality debate what we found was that people were more afraid than anything else and yeah. that unfortunately that fear continues we can see that with the various sex discrimination discussions that are going on now around schools and around freedoms and um, human rights issues about whether and inevitably um, human rights issues will tend to having people think about whose rights are more important and what we have to come to an understanding is that it's mainly about thinking through rights so that we're talking now with the schools issue about whether um, rights that you have over your sexuality and your and your freedom of expression will be hitting up against religious freedoms and religious rights and it's a really it's not an easy concept but what we must have is continuing to have the discussion yeah and our society shouldn't close down that discussion and we've got to take away the fear of difference and when i get all the emails about these issues and i go out and i listen to people's concerns a lot of it comes from fear yeah yeah and it will, I believe that people will never agree on some of these issues. The differences are too great, but what we must do is coexist and coexist without abuse. It's a very powerful message. Absolutely. And it, it's something we can do. We can do this. Yes. And in fact, we must do it. Yeah. Um, I do want to go sure. a little bit back into your career again. Because sure, yeah. um, you've been given us so much insight mm-hmm. into how to create a better future for the world and I'm sure the listeners will want to know a little bit more about you and 
factual. What makes you so incredible and amazing to be giving out all this advice? Oh, I hope I'm advising. <laughs> oh, it's awful. It's like, you know, someone you write into in one of those terrible col- those columns saying, Dear Claire. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could start one. I'm sure people would greatly appreciate how yeah. to change the world for the better. Yeah. Would be a well, great I think, column. <laughs> I think what you guys do in the Global Goals is, yeah. is what does that. I mean, I th- and it, again, it's really personal. It's, it, it's individual and everybody won't be acting in the same way and everybody can't but I really do believe that when you go through that process that I talked about of identifying the issue identifying your own values everybody has a role they can play yes everybody and it um and it's one of those things it shouldn't be judged you know that someone is doing more because they're more out there Mm. um some people are doing things we'll never know about. Yeah. But they're making a big difference. Oh, well, one of the themes last year for the Global Goals campaign was healthy, not hungry. Exactly. And yep. we were trying to push this idea for people who were unhappy with how Medicare is going in Australia mm. and unhappy with the health system is actually take health into your own hands and mm. exercise and eat yep. well and see your doctors whenever you need a checkup and be on top of your health mm. so you're not requiring the health services as much of course still advocate for changes sure. but make sure that you're looking inwards and making sure that you're doing the right the health thing. consumers network has been talking about this for a long time yeah. that um rather than just um stumbling along and only being involved with the health system when there's a crisis mm. that people should take more personal ownership of their health and mm. i think the work that you did last year did raise that awareness with people um and I, you know, every medical um, professional that I've ever met talks about the need for people to look after their own bodies and health uh, because you can never, ever stop getting some conditions. You know, mm. you can never, ever look into your future um, and know exactly yeah. what your health will be like. Sometimes family history is important and yes. people need to know that as well. You know, I come from Irish background all the way through, so my family um, is very much uh, heart condi- conditions and stroke. Mm-hmm. I know that. So um, I made choices about the way I live and it still doesn't mean that you won't get high blood pressure, but you'll limit it. You'll limit it, and that's really important. So, even in this place, I mean, Parliament is a it's like a little microcosm of the wider world. Um, I mean, naturally, people are, are pretty. They've had advantages mm-hmm. to get here, so that's that's a given. But they have different backgrounds and different views. So, I truly believe parliamentarians are significantly more healthy now than they were twenty years ago. Yeah. I think they have understood that the demands of the job. Um, the difficulties of the job, the pressure, mean that people have to look after themselves so that, um, you know, there used to be stories about wild parties that happened at Parliament. There are not many of those anymore. I mean, people understand you can drink and have a good time, but you cannot, you've got to make some personal decisions. So we have a great gym in Parliament Mm -hmm. and an Olympic-sized swimming pool. I don't think every Polly knows it's there. <laughs> in fact, I know every politician doesn't know it's there. They still get surprised when they find out. But um, that was actually built in yeah. to the building when yeah. it was being planned because people were more aware of the need to be aware of those things. And regularly we have, coming through the Parliament, uh, people with knowledge about health and coming to talk to us about heart and obesity, of course, which is um, the scourge. 
yes. in our nation, which is so sad because it's not just about overeating, mm. it's eating the wrong things. So people can be obese and very badly nourished at the same time. And yes. no one knows that, you yeah. know. Um, so these things, awareness, a lot of it is awareness. And then you make, I, I think one of the, um, the things I talk about most is informed choice. Yes. You make decisions and everybody has the right to make their own decision, but they should have the information on which they can make the best decision. And you're looking from outside, you mightn't think it's the best decision they've made, but as long as they've got the information before them, yep. I'm I'm cool. Yep. I'm cool with that. So um, I think personal health is important, uh, and I think knowing where you can get support is important. And I think one of the things we see here is how many organisations and individuals in Australia are there wanting to help people mm-hmm. across the board. Um, Yesterday I had an organisation that looks after people that have postnatal depression and they've been out there providing that information for years and the numbers are terrifying. Mm. Um, people who work in the mental health area, people who work in the heart, you know, how you can get the best possible support after you've had a heart attack. And I could go on and on, but those resources are there, but it's linking people into them that is part of the community responsibility. Yeah. And just doing leaflets and handing them out, hoping somebody will read them, is not the only way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah? I think word of mouth, I think social, social media, peer support, yes. people who've lived the experience yes. supporting others. And it doesn't matter whether it's, um, it doesn't matter what issue it is, it's the best value. Yeah. Well, that goes back into what you were saying before about the findings from the committee around yeah. the global goals, being that there's all these services and all these programs, yeah. but people aren't aware of them. Um, so I did want to ask, do you have sort of a favourite aspect of your work that you really enjoy? I love the committees. Yep. I have to admit, and in fact, some of my mates tease me about it. You know, <laughs> if there's a committee, Claire will do it. Because um, it's the best opportunity. Um, the committee is not about the politicians. I have really strong views about that. Yes. Parliamentarians shouldn't talk a lot in committees. Yeah. They're there to ask questions, but they're there to listen uh, mm-hmm. and the people who come and see us, uh, it is a genuine blessing, yeah. the opportunities you get in this job to hear about what's going on in your community. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's um, remote and regional issues, Aboriginal Islander issues, um, ethnic communities are so involved in promoting the issues for their people and also for their homelands. They, I haven't seen anyone who's come to me that doesn't see Australia as home, mm. but they always, always have links, particularly first and second generations, back to whence they came. We had a fantastic committee, um, must be about 2010, which was looking at our relationship with Africa, mm. and it was wonderful because we got a chance to go to various parts of Australia and talk with so many people who have come to live in Australia from Africa and who care about what's going on. It was one of the most um, illuminating committees that I've been on and the genuine interest in working together and particularly with Australian industry around mining, how, mu- yes. how many Australians are working in that space. But the, one of the most wonderful things of that whole committee was hearing people who are African Australians mm. and talking about their own homelands and how they want to help and the amount of work they do to ensure that uh, when there's crises at home and certainly when we had the Ebola outbreaks in the um, the northwest of Africa, 
the work that was done here to try and send medical support to families yeah. was just extraordinary. And it happens all the time. I do a lot of work with the Muslim community in Brisbane because mm. they are just so vibrant and so welcoming. But their generosity is overwhelming. It doesn't matter whether it's something that's happening overseas or whether it's they have already had fundraisers for the bushfires in central Queensland. Already yes. they've got that in place. They are, um, Muslim Aid has been involved with work in the, um, the Cox Bazaar issues around the Rohingya in Bangladesh. They've been sending people there. They've been sending support. Newly arrived refugees in Australia, people who are here because of our um, migration system and our visa system who don't have support, they're supporting them in their communities. Um, yeah. And they just never stop. And a lot of that goes on underneath the radar. They yeah. just do it and share and help and support. I may or may not have got to know about those communities if I was not involved in the committees. Yeah. And we make difference. We, we bring in legislation, legislation around modern slavery. Um, we have uh, ensured that there was a Royal Commission on people who were abused, sexually abused in institutions. Mm. That wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been the committees that we did. You yeah. know, that's the kind of linkage you can make between listening to people who come and talk about issues and offering solutions yeah. and then trying to translate that into government policy and then in impl implementing that legislation. There is a route that can lead to outcome and that's what I find the best thing about the job, when you can see something change. Oh, wow. Well. And do you have a favourite story from your time on the committees? Oh, there's so many. I mean, certainly, I mean, certainly the kids from Forest School yes. just put it all together for me. Yeah. Um, uh, you just meet people who are extraordinary, people in their communities. Um, Aboriginal, I mean, I had the chance to go up to our Community Affairs Committee was doing a lot of work in Aboriginal Ireland, a service mm -hmm. delivery, and we had the chance to travel to the Northern Territory quite a lot. I have a personal view that every Australian should actually get to the centre should actually get to Uluru and just be there and see the heart of this nation. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, it does reinforce what being Australian's about. It does. I was on a committee that was looking at national parks mm. um, and we had a hearing at Uluru and this will be the story I'll tell. We had a hearing at Uluru and it was about the national park there and the fact that it's now in, owned by the First Nations community and they look after that community. Mm. Um, and we had the committee early in the morning and it was in July and it was cold. And we had the committee outside and we're sitting where if I turned to my left, I could see the rock. And we had gum, lead, gum trees um, being burnt um, to provide warmth because it was so cold. And so all of us were sitting shivering at this committee um, with these wonderful Aboriginal um, First Nations people who were there, who lived and loved their community but had incredible disadvantage in yeah. terms of lack of services, worry about their children who were sick. Their children were more likely to get fetal alcohol um, syndrome, which is a lifelong complaint. Um, they're more likely to have communicable diseases. Uh, their opportunities for education and jobs were low. And these um, mature ladies who just came to us and said, 
this is our land but we want you to help and work with us mm. and it was just like you, you just sat there and tingled and it wasn't just being cold um, <laughs> it was there was Uluru yeah we were the gum smoke was all around us and these wonderful aboriginal elders were there talking to their parliamentarians and yeah. that was wonderful it just summarized how it can work wow what a moving experience it was it i've been. never forgotten it and i don't think mm. i ever will yeah um and i'm conscious of time sure of course you've got to go in for question time yes soon. it won't be the best example we will have lots <laughs> of divisions this afternoon and people will say things they shouldn't and yeah. they'll get tetchy but then whenever we finish because the last day of a sitting is always um fraught when will we finish will we be here you know all those things but at the end no matter how um dynamic is a great word isn't it how dynamic the debate is everybody will make all the leaders will make merry christmas statements before we go home which i i i always laugh about you know you could have been yelling across the chamber at um at one stage and within 20 minutes everyone's wishing people the best of the season <laughs> so after all we're only people we're only people yeah. and um there is a, there's a lot of friendship here i know yeah. people say that all the time but there is a lot of friendship here there are some people that you just don't get on with and it doesn't matter how often you're with them you're mm. never going to create a relationship but there are others that you become mates and you and people share their joys and their sadnesses and their family stories so it's just like any gathering of people yeah it's so beautiful and I love seeing the community when I'm here and on social media and you do and see it don't you yeah. there is actually connections in the place but yeah. also this magnificent building I mean as I said everyone should go to Willaroo everyone should come to Parliament House yeah. and wander around and look at the history and remember that this place is not something separate. It's part of us. Yeah. It's part of Australia. I do remember, I think it was 2016, my parents came over mm -hmm. from Perth to visit me. Yep. And we had a spare sort of hour or two. And I said, oh, why don't we just pop into Parliament? And, and they looked around. at you and they went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure Dad had been here before, but Mum hadn't. And I just remember walking into the marble mm. foyer and going, yeah, this is the marble foyer. And all foyer. those beautiful marbles which are <laughs> supposed to represent um, the gum trees. Yes. And when you know that, you see it. Yeah. You can see that this is part of a gum tree forest. And yeah. you've got that, and I'm lucky enough to have been in some of those wonderful forests. Um, it feels like that. You know, yeah. that coolness in the marble. And the marble's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But I walked in and because, you know, I spend a bit of time mm. in this building. It was sort of, oh, yeah, yep. this Familiar. is the place. Yeah. And mum burst into tears because it's such a powerful centre of change in Australia and it represents so much and yep. the struggles and successes of the Australian people. And it really got to us. Yeah. That so that's us. <laughs> that's the, the way cue. of finishing. <laughs> Lovely. But I've so enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. And I with you. Thank you so much, Senator. Oh, isn't that wonderful? It just yeah. So a rather abrupt end to the second episode of Politics Done Differently, thanks to the division bells ringing in Parliament House on the last sitting day of the year. It's just a part of that authentic Parliament House experience to have that ringing in the background. Uh, a big thank you to Senator Claire Moore for joining us on the podcast, for her insights, for her beautiful and moving stories, and for giving us these positive messages about politics in Australia, 
the fact that politicians are working to create a better future for us all, especially through the committee process, and giving us a little bit of hope and a little bit of encouragement that we can actually support politicians in their efforts to create this change. We can't wait for you to join us for our next episode of Politics Done Differently. In the meantime, please subscribe to our podcast and also follow us on social media at PD Differently. And you can stay updated with some of the information about our guests that have been on and our next guests. And I can't wait to see you next time. Thanks so much. Music.